Welcome to the weekly retail politics podcast where we deliver to you one download at a time the most important information about your nation. I'm your host, Jerry Shields, and today we will talk about the politics of student debt. Student debt in America has been crushing with 45 million Americans holding 1.7 trillion in student debt. That translates to about 38,000 for each student to repay their college loans for their education. Today, our guest is the loan whisperer himself, Mr. Ray Rao, Florida mortgage loan veteran with Phoenix Loan Solutions. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. Hello, Jerry. Thank you. People may wonder why we would interview a home loan expert about our student debt, but you see firsthand what this uh, crushing student debt is doing kind of from a street level. Tell us about that. Well, it's 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 becoming more and more obvious as the millennials become um, more and more ostracized from the purchasing market because of this um, because of this student debt. As a as a lender, I see two, three millennials uh, a month come for an application or questions about getting a loan. And, uh, you know, sometimes their credit is just borderline and they're paying two thousand twenty four hundred a month in rent. And, um, you know, they'll have four to five hundred dollars a month in um, student loans. And when you budget their student loans in and uh, some of them have good income, too. But when you budget that student loans in, it puts their debt to income, their DTI, which we call the back end of a loan. It puts it over the threshold for their purchasing power. And some of them, because they they keep changing their majors, um, they don't uh, they're in there three, four years and they're amounting, you know, 100,000 uh, or more in debt in just student loans, even though they're deferred, Jerry, they have a they have a, a due date. And believe it or not, even if it's due four years down the road, we have to factor what that monthly payment would be in now. Right. And you were saying that, um, you know, if that debt was relieved and we'll talk a little bit about that, um, that would basically stimulate the economy because they would be able to buy big ticket items like homes and cars and things like that. Yeah. You know, some of the proposals that have been being bounced around on the desk for the income and administration are what they call a stimulus for the student loans and forgive 90 percent of them. They're just asking how about give the millennials uh, a stimulus of forgiving 90%? We're talking about federal and state loans. We're not talking about private loans that the, the kids sometimes or the, or the students sometimes seek. But uh, federal and state loans, if we give them a stimulus and forgive 90% of the student loan, not only will they come back into the market, because every time somebody buys a house, Jerry, seven people go to work. You got carpenters, electricians. You got all the people through the processing of a loan. So it's good for the economy to get this very untapped potential. And now the millennials are probably a good 30, 40 percent of our of our population. And and it's emerging even larger as time that we can't use in the housing market. They simply don't qualify. That's amazing. So the student debt, as much as it is a financial one, as you mentioned, has become a political one. It's become a battle. And especially as uh, President Biden starts to come in, Donald Trump provided some temporary relief because he uh, uh, basically held up on the payments and the interest until the end of January 21st, letting everybody, uh, January 2021, uh, letting everybody, um, you know, kind of get relief until then. But even when that comes back, you know, it, it looks like 
50% of the people are not going to be able to make those mm-hmm. payments. They're going to not be able to, to deal with that. Now, Joe Biden is coming in and he's supporting a Senate proposal, which would relieve about uh, 50,000. Mm-hmm. That's what he wants to do, 50,000. And the Republicans are saying, um, you know, we'll go up to 10,000. They're standing mm-hmm. firm on that 10,000 mark. Um, that's about a quarter of what the mm-hmm. average is. Um, is the Republican idea, does it, does it make an impact at all? That's a good question. I think both sides of the aisle are looking at one thing, and it's the core foundation of the, of the school system to begin with. And I'm, I'm going to give you a real quick snapshot. Uh, the fact is the cost of education is too high and it's not the fault of the students. It's ridiculously high cost. Um, you can, um, you can get a home loan, let's say on the higher side today, cause we all know the loans are, you can get a home loan for 3.5% versus nearly 8% for a student loan. Mm. So the core foundation of the process of lending stu- of getting student loans created, it's too high. So this Republican proposal, if they took that 10,000 away, like we were saying, each kid has about an average of 38,000, that 10,000 still leaves them with $28,000 of debt. Is, does, does that make a dent into the, into the problem? No, it's actually, a, it's not even a Band-Aid um, because they're accruing debt. It's not that they're paying some down, they're continuing to accrue debt. So they need a wholesale, like 90% of it forgiven. Um, here's another thing about, you know, the reason they're, they're also paying too much for schooling and the, the loan basis and the foundation is already, it's, it reminds me of the payday, the payday now loan scams back, uh, Mm -hmm. 2013, 15, where you went in to get $150 draw on your check for Friday and they were charging almost before the government jumped in and it was almost 300% profit that these companies prior to the Amscot where they were regulated, they were getting on your $150. So you literally never be, you never got debt free because of the outrageous unfettered amount of interest they were allowed. So you be, you became, you know, some people became just hooked on um, the interest. They were never, it's physically impossible to ever to get right. So both schools, both schools of thought were, well, why should we forgive these guys student loans and other people are paying them and have done okay? Well, it's kind of like, well, not everybody's the same. And, you know, if you find a cure for cancer, do you tell all the, you know, do you tell all the people that have passed away from it? Oh, sorry, we couldn't get it to you. No, you, you, you start curing people that are in front of you once that becomes available. Um, so with this forgiveness, I think we need to really address this because we're talking about stimulating the economy. You have an untapped potential of a lot of, lot of people that simply cannot get into the home purchasing market. And that's really fascinating because I think there is that feeling out there like, well, why, why, do we, why are we going to give these guys $50,000? I mean, you know, they, they, you know, I thought, and, but the people don't understand that that reduces the pressure in the market. Now, you and I were talking about what the roles of private colleges and universities um, 
are in, in involved in this crisis. Uh, my twins turn 18 on Christmas Eve and we're now applying for colleges. And if they get accepted to the two that they want to go to, uh, it's going to be about $110,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And if you, you, you take that over four years, that's $440,000. You could buy a mansion on the lake in Florida mm -hmm. with that kind of money. Mm -hmm. So they're coming out of school with these debts. And you were telling me something very interesting that you believe that schools, colleges, and universities have not been transparent with students when they come in, teaching them what their responsibility is going to be after they graduate. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that is a very curious phenomenon that hasn't been really addressed is the actual counseling that may or may not be as detailed as it is because the cost of changing your major or an elective each semester is extremely expensive, where by the time you pay for your education, say you change your major two or three times in a four-year school, those initial majors that you were going for, or electives, they may not carry over or apply to the one you do select. So you get out of school and you have this debt, like you're talking about the proposal, and the job only pays X amount of dollars. And the, the four years of schooling and the amount that you have to pay back will never match. So a lot of these schools or these loans are for educations where the the living that you're going to make is is not going to be worth. It used to be an expression is the lemon worth the squeeze. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that? I'm not sure the lemon is worth the squeeze. Why? A lot of times because schools are a business. Let's face it. Walmart's a business. Target's a business. Right. They're making money on getting heads into the building. Whether these heads get out of the out of the school with the ability to make enough money to pay these student loans is not their concern. And so the counseling that doesn't pay, take place in the front of this, like counseling, for instance, if you take three or four years to become a veterinary doctor, okay, and it, let's say it pays on the high end 80000 well, and then you have $100,000 to $300,000 worth of debt that would take seven maybe 12 or 15 years to pay. And then that would decrease your 80,000 a year by how much? So relatively, you might be making 50,000 because of your student loan. You have to see if the the end ends match the means. And a lot of these schools, they don't counsel them that you're taking a, you're spending four years on an elective or a major that when you get out, it's going to take you 15 years in order to break even on your student debt. And then that living may or may not uh, be enough. They don't counsel them in the front end of that. I remember going through this, sign the paper. I don't want to sign mm. the paper. You know, I, I'll just do it when mm -hmm. I get out. And it's interesting because you talk about doctors. So, you know, you, you're, we're just talking four years. Then you put on a master's degree. Then you put on a doctorate. And then you're a doctor. And the doctor's got hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans. Does that increase the cost of mm -hmm. medical care? Yeah. Well, one would almost presume they might be tied. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, it's interesting because the Biden administration, as part of the their proposal uh, wants to go after private student loan companies because they say that they are profiteering off too many of these student loan borrowers. And they're even recommending um, that these companies be punished by the Consumer Financial Protection mm -hmm. Bureau. Do you think that's a good idea? Do you think there needs to be some straightening up um, in this uh, in this process? Has, it, has the reins been lost? That's a great question. I think anybody 
would say there needs to be a lot more accountability. Uh, the CFPB, you know, as a as a lender, I have at least four to five eyes on every single thing I do. We have what they call a unique identifier. It's a number that's registered to my name. So everything I produce, I had better be along those guidelines. So when I produce a loan, it's not only legally correct, it's a benefit to the consumer, not a hardship. So there's no oversight in a lot of these areas of lending. For instance, we talked about when we first got on here about the, uh, the, the interest rates. Why are they so significantly higher for student loans when you can get a home loan for 3.5 and you're looking at sometimes 8% for student loans? What is that? Is, are they more risky? I mean, are, are the colleges saying, hey, you're more risky, so you got to pay the 8%. Do you see it that way? No, no, I don't, because you have to sign a contract, just like with a house. You have to be vetted out. You have to have somebody vouch for you. A lot of times it's the parents. Um, a lot of this falls on, you know, they say, well, maybe they didn't have good, they, they weren't, didn't have good parenting because they're getting in. Let's remember when the Let's go back to 2013, 2012, again, when regulation, the government had to step in because of uh, people being taken advantage. These kids were marketed to, do you remember, for the credit cards? Right, right, right. They, they were giving kids these credit cards. Here's sign, like you said, sign here. And the kid would go out, look, I got 15000 on this card. And they would literally run them up and not pay them. Because obviously, how much credit card debt? 22%? 18% if you and if you defaulted, you know, it doubles and triples and compounds daily. So these kids were crushed back then. Maybe it was bad parenting skills or the lack of it. But again, I think these schools, much like the credit cards and the payday now, they targeted a market. In this particular case, it was the millennials. And it's interesting because um, we're just seeing movements and shifts in how students are being educated. Now, Joe Biden wants to provide two years community college for everyone. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm seeing more students opt for that because they can go to a community college very cheaply for two years, then transfer most of those credits over to a private college or a university. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're getting a little bit off. My brother did that. He went to uh, Philadelphia Community College for two years, transferred all his uh, his um, credits to LaSalle University and uh, graduated with a 4.0, a little brown noser. He didn't uh, have the 2.7 I had. I majored in Budweiser. But um, you see it, uh, students attending community, co community colleges more um, because of this financial, um, I mean, it's, 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 it's stratosphere. I mean, the, co the cost of college has gone into the stratosphere. Do you see students opting for the community college system um, other than you know, having to pay all this money back. I see that as a I see that as a stepping stone. Obviously, I see it as a stepping stone. And as long as these community outreach or these community schools are accredited uh, correctly, and that they can use that two years that's being offered by the incumbent admin, that they can parlay. Again, it's all about counseling prior to signing anything. If they take those two years and augment them on to another two years and stay in the same major, that's going to not only, you have to look at your return on investment, your ROI. After you get four years in a particular major, are you coming out with an associate, a bachelor's? Are you headed towards a master's? Or do you keep changing your master every year? And then the two years, yeah, Jerry would be 
would 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 be uh, null and void because it wouldn't apply. But if they're counseled early on yeah. about their financial commitment, also, what if they change their uh, major? What are the consequences? And I think, like you said a minute ago, yeah, when you went, they said, here, sign here. We're going to pay for your books. If you stay on campus, we'll pay for your overhead. And they're like, geez, this is great. I'm going to use this money to, yeah. And of course, listen, it's the human condition. Give me money, you know, give me money. And, and the reality is these schools are all hooked up with the, the loan companies. They're all hooked up with the, the campus housing from the cafeteria to everything. It's sure it's a, it's definitely profit taking, but again, I don't think the kids are counseled or the, or the young adults are counseled enough about the consequences and the debt that they're going to face. Is that something we could do in high school? Could we do that in a senior year in high school? Yeah, absolutely. We should start very early on as an option. It used to be when you and I went to school, you either went into the military, you were going to college, or you had better been very prepped and have a trade. There's nothing wrong with people that don't go to school, that go into a trade, you know, and 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 because, you know, my dad used to say we don't have enough ditch diggers, and now that you know the last twenty years, you know, with with the electronic age, everybody wants to push a button, create a video, be a marketing engineer, you know, the mar- the ne- the next best Marvel, um, technical technological genius, and the rea- and the reality is. Everybody's doing it, so the competition is ferocious. Yeah, it seems that the yeah, exactly the competition is ferocious. And as my kids are looking around for schools, and I'm seeing schools give kids more money now. Like when you and I went, I I don't remember. I mean, I remember getting the state uh, grants, the federal grants, and and having to do the bank loans. But I don't remember schools giving me like, hey, we'll give you twenty thousand to come here. And I'm seeing that a lot more. And I think that's because the enrollment is a little more, I guess, precious to, to the schools. They're trying to attract people. So they're, they're giving out some money. Um, we talked about the political uh, ramifications of this and a key factor on whether the students are going to get that $50,000 relief that Biden wants or the 10,000 Republican relief is this Georgia Senate election, which is on January 5th. This is a monster election because it will decide um, pretty much who rules the Senate, the Democrats or Republicans. We've got two incumbents running against two Democrats. They are in a runoff. Um, and right now the Senate stands at 48 Democrats, 50 Republicans. So if the two Democrats win, it's 50-50. But Vice President Kamala Harris, who is a Democrat, of course, would be the tiebreaker. So this is a monster election um, in so many ways. Do you see it that way? Yes, I certainly do. And one of the things that was batted around, and I was listening to some uh, a forum about that, and you know, one on, on the in- incoming administration, uh, one of the lobbyists was talking about this, uh, and again, it's foundational. I'm not talking about the back end that we know is obviously crushing. I'm talking about the front end. You and one of the one of the lobbyists for for the incoming administration for the 90% forgiveness was, and he said something very very stark and simple, and he just let it hang there. He said, "You wouldn't build a house without a blueprint, would you?" Fascinating, yeah. And he just let it hang there. He didn't respond. He didn't he didn't back it up with an addendum or anything. And everybody just sat there, and they you know they were making little notes. 
Um, and the reality is it's foundational. It's not about it's not about putting fingers in the dam. If the dam is already starting to leak, we got a problem. And the foundational part of this um, of the whole way students are marketed to and just like they were the payday now scams and the and the and the credit card, you know, you know, here we're gonna give you a credit card. We need to look at the foundation of how these schools set up their lending and are they counseling these these young adults into the consequences of changing their majors and how much, what is your ROI? No business orders inventory that they, they haven't checked before they ordered it that people want. Why would you buy 50 gallons of a yellow? Nobody can stand if you're a hardware store and inventory it every month. You wouldn't do that. It's a, it's a lose lose. But why are students going to school and changing their majors every single year? And after four years, and like you were proposing, 110,000 uh, or better, and they come out and they, they don't even have a degree. Uh, and then they're thinking about going to another two years because now they're focused. We need to get at the foundation of how these uh, millennials are counseled and the consequences and the cost to them and who's going to bear that. And, and talk to them about their credit rating because let's face it. This economy has an opportunity. It's right on the precipice. If we can capture the millennials and they're getting them out of the $2,400 a month of rent and into a purchase of a home, the economy, everybody would be stimulated um, by, by simply making a move towards addressing this high debt and forgiveness for these students. And you're talking about $2,400 rent. That's a pretty good mortgage payment, right? Oh, you know, $2,400, $2,500, you don't only have only pockets in Florida where they're paying that much. Uh, most most everybody's between 12 to 15, and that's for a decent-sized home. $2,500, they're paying, I think I read something about two or three months ago that says, I think we're the third or fourth highest rent Tampa Bay area in the country. I think we're behind Oregon and California. And it's it's absolutely numbing the gouging that's going on. And let's face it, you know, if I can get 3,000, why would I ask two? And so it, be, it, becomes, it becomes a feeding frenzy for people to actually keep gouging. And unfortunately, the millennials are marketed directly to by the uh, by these uh, rentals. But it's interesting because I don't see the millennials realizing the implications of this. I don't see them out there involved in this political battle. Um, and, um, you know, I, I know my own with my credit rating. I didn't worry about my credit rating until I had to buy a house, you know. Um, but I don't see them in this political battle. Um, do you think they're paying attention to this? Yes, I do. But it's been a very long uh, turnaround for them to act. It's like anything. If you hit me in my wallet, you got my attention. The rents have now pushed the millennials or that base of people that haven't been in purchasing. The The rents are so high now, they're starting to look towards what's an alternative because they're seeing, it used to be when we were growing up and you and I are similar in age, your rent was 20 to 30% of your actual overall. Now it's over 80% of their actual income base in order to support a roof over their head. Um, and they've been, they've been, you know, is it poor parenting? I don't know. 
Is it the fact that they're being marketed to so heavily by these places that promise them, you know, you know, a gym, a workout center, the whole nine yards, a community all under the roof. So they they're paying that rent. But I think, yes, I think they're finally starting. I'm getting more calls from people in the 30 to 50 year old bracket going, what do I need to do to get a pre-approval? Yeah. Yeah. And um, it, it is interesting because at that at that point, it may be too late. I mean, I remember, you know, people used to say, well, you know, the young kids don't read the newspaper. Well, they start reading the newspaper when their kids are going to school and their taxes are being raised and and those kind of things. And I, I, I don't know if they're waking up too late on this one. And you're saying, you know, they're coming to you at 40 and 50 years old. Is that too late? No, it's never too late to purchase a home. Not only it, it as they get as they get older, they're realizing that they don't they're not getting anything for their money. You know, we all talk about, well, when you rent, you're, it's not that you're getting any. You're getting the convenience of 24 hour maintenance. You're getting that. You don't have to mow a lawn. All that is included. But when they're starting to see now that purchasing a home, the home is actually paying them back. And they're starting to see that they actually the home is actually a nest egg or. It builds enough equity. And as they get older, maybe they can hand that equity or that home to their children. And because when they're renting, there's there's really a zero return for their future. But look at us, Jerry. We didn't look at any of that until we hit a certain age. It's, that's exactly right. And so this does kind of spread, as you're saying. So you're you're talking about your your, you know, getting a home and building some equity that that goes to your retirement. So these student debts, they take they go to the grave with you or at least play a role in your life and even into your retirement. You know, this this particular this particular generation is extremely educated. Look at what they have in their hands. They have a handheld computer right at their hands and they're looking at. Excuse me. They're looking at their rent times a year versus now owning, and they're seeing that the home is paying them back. This generation is very savvy, very educated. At the tip of their fingers, they have the answer to everything. And so they're starting to see that $2,400 or even $1,800 a month times 12, if they put that towards a house in five to seven years, they could see a $10,000 yield in just equity alone. That's real money. And, and we're not even talking about the tax breaks that you get with a home and the mortgage deductions mm -hmm. and all that. Yeah, the incentives the incentives for owning are, are very strong. So I say, okay, Ray Rao, you are in charge of fixing the student debt crisis in America. What would you recommend? I would stay along with the incoming administration's ideas or like the one fella mentioned, the blueprint for what you would do for and I would we're going to have to give them relief. We're going to have to give that generation we we put them in debt, so to speak. We allowed we uh, we said it was okay for these schools to to run their programs on our youth, our children, our our sisters, our brothers, our kids. And now we have the responsibility of reining them in. It's kind of like a train where the brakes aren't working. This train is coming through and our students are on it and, and they're going they're going all the way to the end with this debt. I'd like to see what uh, the incoming administration is saying. Forgive 90 percent. That's federal and state, federal state loans that these schools are using. 90 percent. Give them an opportunity to breathe a little bit. I can guarantee you with a, a, a great deal of positivity that these kids would, or these kids, I say these kids, these young adults 
would move into purchasing a home because they're talking about it. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for joining us on the podcast, uh, The Lone Whisper, and giving us quite a unique look at the impact of student debt crisis from the ground up. And that, and that's something that I don't think people uh, think about. So I appreciate you doing it. You're welcome. And, you know, anybody can call me at any time. I love talking about this because not only do I share what I've learned, I learn more from listening and seeing what's current, what's going on. And, and that, that aids me in helping even more people. And guess what? It could be your kid. Before we go, we would like to wish all our listeners a very happy holiday, hoping Santa brings you everything you and your loved ones desire. I would like to thank our executive producer, Mike Gugat, in addition to our technical producer, Brad Maybe, who I refer to as the Wizard of Pods. And please pick up my new book on Amazon called The Front Row, My Jagged Journey Recording American History from Reagan to Trump. We thank you for spending your precious time with us. And please help us by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We will be back next week with another Sunday edition of the Weekly Retail Politics Podcast. Until then, remember, always read beyond the headlines. Merry Christmas and have a good week.